Hello, good morning. So as Anna said, my name is Damalola and I have the privilege of getting to be on the team here at KXC as evangelism pastor. And it's my joy to be continuing us on in our series in the book of Revelation. So if you've been with us for the past three weeks, we started out two weeks ago and we had an intro session to the book of Revelation. The title of this series is Unseen Reality. We are looking at that which Jesus is showing his church, that which is not what meets the eye, but is reality from Jesus' perspective. And he's speaking to us to help us know how to live in this day and in this time. And right now we are going through seven churches and messages that Jesus speaks to seven churches in Asia Minor. Last week we looked at his message to the church at Ephesus. And if you remember the key issue there, there was so much that was good about Ephesus, but the key issue, the key downfall of Ephesus was that it had forsaken its first love. Today we come to the church at Smyrna. So we will be in Revelation chapter 2 across verses 8 to 11. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there now. If you've got a phone, get there on your phone. If the downfall of Ephesus is that it has forsaken its first love, well, where Ephesus has fallen, Smyrna thrives. We are looking at the letter of Jesus to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna has not, does not receive a rebuke from Jesus at all in this letter. And so from that, we can gather that she hasn't forsaken her first love. She stayed close to him. And so we're going to see what Jesus says to this church who is being faithful to him, but in the midst of that is experiencing suffering. She is the persecuted church. What will Jesus say to his persecuted church? So we come to the letter to the church at Smyrna. Now, as we receive these words, um, it's often said that, you know what, you should listen to what Jesus is saying to each of the churches and kind of track where you sit in the midst of them. So see which of these best describes your spiritual journey, which of these um, best captures where you're at in your walk with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And um, as we come to Smyrna, each of these churches have messages for us. Um, but yes, do listen in and see what Jesus is speaking um, about your perhaps your particular condition in this moment. But if we left it there, if we just listened to this as a group of individuals who happen to be gathered in this room right now, then we would have missed the point. Jesus is not speaking to the individual Christians at Smyrna. It's a letter to the church. This is a letter to all of us. There is something that we are to receive collectively. And it's not just to the church at KXC, though of course right now it's coming to the church at KXC. But this is to the church, a specific location at a particular time. What would it look like for us to receive this as a church in London? What might Jesus be speaking to us in our city, in our day, in our time? To understand that, to receive these words together, for those in the room, those watching on Zoom, those who will watch later in the week, to receive these words together, we need the help of God's Spirit. So let's come now before the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Jesus, who right now is animating the life of Jesus in each of us. Spirit of the living God, we acknowledge your presence with us in this room. We thank you that you make good on the promise of Jesus, that he will not leave us as orphans, but he will come to us. And we thank you, Spirit, that you are Jesus come to us. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would open up the scriptures to us, 
and you would reveal the heart of Jesus, the purposes of Jesus for us in this place, in this time. Would you open our ears that we might hear what you seek to speak to us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, as I said, I have the privilege of getting to serve as evangelist and pastor here at KXC. That's not my only job. I've actually got three jobs at the moment, one of which I started last week. I took on a new post at an organization called the Evangelical Alliance. And as I started at EA last two weeks ago, tomorrow, um, I was reacquainted with a man I'd met about four years ago at like um, an EA event. And there was one thing about him that stuck out to me then about four years ago. And in meeting him again, it was extraordinary that the same thing stuck out about him. Now, of course, it's a place called the Evangelical Alliance, so you kind of have to love Jesus to work there. <laughs> so that was, that was a given. But the other thing about this man, and his name is Rich, the other thing about him that struck me then and strikes me again now is his deep love for his wife. You should see the way this man says her name, the way he speaks about her, the way that he mentions their encounters and their interactions together. Even in a few moments, you can tell this is a man who really, really, really loves his wife. When he speaks of his wife, you can hear the desire that he has for her. When he's not with her, he longs to be with her. And I got to hear over the week a little bit about how they got together. And I heard that this man has sacrificed in pursuit of this woman. He's been through humiliation in order to get the girl. But it was all worth it because now his efforts have been successful in wooing his bride. And now they get to enjoy an intimacy between themselves. Rich loves his wife. And when I hear this, the romantic in me, it melts. I see him speak of his wife, and I'm like, oh, that is good. But I don't just think, oh, that is good. I think also, oh, I really want that. I want at some point for there to be a man on the face of the earth who's speaking of me, and the people listening can say, do you know what? He really, really loves his wife. And as I sit in the tension of what is sometimes a dull ache, other times a stabbing pain, I sit in that and I bring it before the Spirit of God. And the Spirit meets me in the midst of it, doesn't diminish it, and he meets me right in the midst of it, but he draws my mind to a truth. And this is the truth that as beautiful as the love between Rich and his wife is, it is but a pale reflection of the love of Jesus for his bride. And it has a role in showcasing that love, but it will never compare to the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus has desired for himself a bride. He's longed for a bride, but he's not just longed for a bride, he's put his life on the line for his bride. He has sacrificed for his bride. And now the invitation to the bride of Jesus is to enjoy intimacy with him. So the Spirit reminds me in these moments when longing rises to the fore that it's not wrong for me to feel that, but as I long for the intimacy that I don't yet have and I might not have, I should not diminish the intimacy that I can enjoy as a member of the bride of Jesus. 
We are here as Jesus' bride. Jesus is speaking to us as his bride. And it's important for us to hear these words to Smyrna as words spoken, yes, as from the Lord and master of the church to the church. But Jesus is not just the Lord and master of his church. He is lover speaking to his beloved. With that, let's come. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 from verse 8. The message to the church in Smyrna. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. So we see Jesus speaking through John to the church in Smyrna. And he says, this, is, this message is from the one who is the first and the last, who once was dead but is now alive. Now, if you remember from week one in the book of Revelation, G, um, Pete, not Jesus, I know it's really hard to, to tell the difference between the two. Um, Jesus through Pete was explaining to us that um, the first is uh, the Greek word arche, um, and that points to Jesus being the archetype, the one through whom um, reality is assembled to look like it's patterned after him. Jesus is the archetype. Um, Jesus is the last, the telos, the destiny, the end point of all things. Jesus is speaking now to Smyrna and he's telling them he's the first and he is the last. Their reality is bookended by him. Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the one who once was dead but is now alive. And as resurrection people, we know that the tomb is empty. Amen? We know that we don't go on pilgrimages to go to the burial site of Jesus because there is no such thing. Because Jesus is not in a grave and he's not in a tomb anywhere. Jesus is at the majesty of God reigning on high. The one who was dead is now alive. So when Jesus speaks these words to Smyrna, he's speaking of his identity. But Jesus is not only speaking of his identity in these words. And to understand what is going on here, we must know a little bit of the context of Smyrna. So, Smyrna. Smyrna is in modern-day Turkey. That's where it was. It goes by a new name now of Izmir. It's currently the third largest city in Turkey. And it was a prominent city at the time of John speaking this letter from Jesus to them. Um, so Ephesus was quite a big shot city and Smyrna was a close rival 
to Ephesus. And the city was a city that was known for its allegiance to Rome. It had built temples in honor of Roman gods. It had built temples in honor of Roman emperors. Um, and Smyrna is a city on the coast. It um, faces the Aegean Sea. Um, and because of its location, um, it was a prime location, but it was also subject to earthquakes, which meant the city was often leveled to the ground and needing to be rebuilt. Um, it was often um, vulnerable in war, meaning the city was often leveled to the ground, needing to be rebuilt. And then around the time of the reign of Alexander the Great, Rome pumps a chunk of money into Smyrna, and she comes back into some of her former glory. And some of the motto of Smyrna was, we once were dead, but now we are alive. So when Jesus is speaking this letter to this church, he's telling them, I am the one who is dead and not alive, but also as your lover, I know you intimately. I am intimately aware of the situation in which you find yourself. I know the challenges that are facing you. I know fully the context that you are set in. I don't just watch you from above. I am with you and I know. Jesus is speaking his identity. Jesus is speaking as a lover intimately. And what is he saying? Follow me to verse 9. Jesus says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. You see, there was no reason for the Christians at Smyrna to be suffering and poor, save that they were in allegiance to Jesus. Because the city of Smyrna was not poor. But because of their allegiance to Jesus, these Christians were on the margins of society. They were being passed up for opportunities. They were being victimized by the state. And Jesus says, I know your suffering. I know your poverty. I am aware of what you are going through. But he also says, but you are rich. And here we remember the title of this, this series, Unseen Reality. Jesus is telling them, I know, and it, it is in fact painful to you that you are suffering. But more than you can see with your physical eyes, you are rich. It appears that you are poor, but you are actually rich. And how is this true? This is true because the church at Smyrna has heeded the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Cross verses 19 to 21, where Jesus tells his disciples, don't store your treasure on earth where thieves break in and moths destroy and rust settles in. Instead, store your treasure above. And the church at Smyrna has made Jesus her treasure. And so even with the poverty of her present condition, she is rich. Now, that word suffering in my Bible, it might be tribulation or affliction in yours. The Greek word underpinning it is the word slipsis. Do you want to try that with me? Slipsis. Thank you. God bless you. You get an extra mansion in glory for that. I'll talk to Jesus about it. So the Greek word is slipsis. And what it means is pressure. Pressure. But not just any kind of pressure. Think boulder on top of you, suffocating you to death kind of pressure. We're talking real pressure. And this pressure is arising 
out of the fact that the church at Smyrna and the church everywhere she finds herself is between the clash of two kingdoms. These kingdoms are not equal, but they are both in play. And the church of Jesus sits in the tension of them. She sits and she inhabits the reality of the kingdom of God, which is her home, which is her destiny. But as she remains on the earth, she is also on, on the terrain of the prince of the power of the air, the evil one. And Jesus is saying, there is more to your reality than meets your eyes. This suffering, this pressure comes from the clash of two kingdoms within which you find yourself. I am aware of the pain that you're experiencing. Again, to get a bit more meaning, depth out of this word pressure, it's helpful to understand um, where the name Smyrna comes from. And if you listen into the sounds well, you might be able to divine it yourself. So Smyrna is Ionic Greek for myrrh. Myrrh, the perfume um, which we see um, brought to Jesus at his birth, one of the gifts. Um, it's in the anointing oil in the book of Leviticus. Um, and myrrh has a number of properties. It has medicinal properties. And so um, it is sometimes ingested in the right ways, following the right safeguards. Um, but it is bitter. Myrrh is bitter to the taste. Um, but it does have healing properties. Um, but alongside this, myrrh is, as has within it a strong, fragrant aroma, a sweet-smelling fragrance. But you must understand to get this fragrance, if you hold myrrh to your nose, you're not going to get that which is within it. In order to uncover the sweetness that is kept within it, it must be scraped, it must be crushed, or it must be burnt. And each of those things represents the smell, the aroma of myrrh being released in greater and greater and greater measure. Scrape it, crush it, burn it. Jesus is saying to his church, I know you're going through pressure, but the kind of stuff you're made of is the kind that comes to its glory when it's experiencing pressure. So Jesus continues. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. And these are quite punchy words. Jesus is not an anti-Semite. Jesus was a Jewish man. What is Jesus seeking to speak to his church? He's recognizing, as I said, the tension that they find themselves within but he's saying it's not just the state coming up against you. It's not just people come against you. It is the enemy of God, Satan himself, who is using people as a front for his wicked schemes. You must understand that there is more to reality. There is more to the headlines. There is more to that which we find ourselves in than that which meets the eye. Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Know that there is an unseen reality. And for the church at Smyrna, they are only a target of Satan because of their allegiance to Jesus. You, I, only a target to Satan because of our allegiance to Jesus. He hates 
Jesus. He is coming after the throne of God. He will never win, but he will try. And he knows that he can't come for Jesus because Jesus is resurrected and reigning. And so the enemy goes after the one that Jesus loves. And so here that Jesus is speaking these words to his church, his beloved, and he knows that she's only facing attack because of her allegiance to him. And he sees it and he recognizes it. What does he counsel her to do? Now, if it were I, and perhaps some of you, we'd say, no, this is the one that I love. They're only facing suffering because of their allegiance to me. How about we just keep it to ourselves, right? It's love. So let's just come to an accommodation, right? You know I love you. I know you love me. You get to do your thing. You get to come out of the heat that you're facing. You know, just say Caesar is Lord every now and again. You don't have to do it every day. And if you say Caesar is Lord, then you'll get to tell more people about me because you're not in prison. How many people can you tell about me in prison versus if you're not in prison? So let's just be a bit pragmatic about this. Why do we have to be so fanatical? Why? But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say any of that. We see in verse 10, he says this, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Jesus looks upon his beloved and he knows what she's going through would be so much easier if she stepped out of allegiance to him. And rather than tell her to do that, he tells her, rather than break in to save her and rescue her from it, he tells her, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. And in those words, Smyrna hears that if it's been bad so far, it's about to get worse. And yet, in those words from Jesus, don't be afraid, we remember that which he speaks to his own. Do not be afraid for, not for I'm about to rescue you, not for it's not going to be real pain, it's not really going to hurt you. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be afraid because no matter how dark the night around you, my light is with you. My light is in you. My presence is my gift to you, my bride. Do not be afraid. I am with you. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you, to see what you're made of, to see if this thing where you lift your hands and sing pre-corona in church on Sunday, to see if that can stand the test of what's about to come your way. Do you do it because you're in a social group who do it or you're looking for a club to belong to? Is this what I am to you is there, or is there more to it? And it's Satan that's seeking to test. The accuser of the brethren is seeking to test, seeking to show to Jesus that even after all he spent on his bride, she doesn't really love him. Seeking to prove what she's made of. Jesus says, you will be tested. You will suffer for 10 days. Now, this is not likely to be a literal 10 days. There are two things that can help us understand what Jesus is getting at. So number 10. Ten fingers, ten toes. That ten speaks to completeness. And Jesus is saying, 
this will be a complete suffering. Every aspect of you is going to be put to the test in what is to come. But not just that. 10 does speak to a limit. There will come a point, the 11th day, when this pain and suffering is no more. It's going to be bad. It's going to be real. But it will come to an end. And I will be with you. And Jesus says, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. That word faithful, it speaks to commitment, stick with it, stay together. It speaks to devotion, do it, you must get by, stay close to me and let's get to this. But more than all of that, that word faithful, fidelity, speaks to covenant, speaks to marriage, speaks of the love of Jesus for his bride and the love that he seeks from her in response. Jesus says, I know what is coming up against you. I know the challenges that you are facing because of your allegiance to me. But if you are faithful, if my love, you look upon my love and you don't despise it, you seek rather to know union with me in my suffering. If you are faithful to me, even when you are facing death, if you are faithful to me, my bride, my beloved, if you are faithful to me, even when you are facing death as I faced for you, then I will give you the crown of life. That very thing that Satan is seeking to take away from you, to suffocate out of you, I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is speaking to his beloved. He's recognizing the condition she's finding herself in. And she's saying, he's saying, I know this is hard. But look, my dear, this is an opportunity for you to experience intimacy with me. Union with me. Fellowship with me in my suffering. Of course, the suffering that we will experience, that is being experienced by our brothers and sisters around the world, is not in the same league as that of Jesus. This isn't quid pro quo. This isn't, I've gone through this for you, so go through this for me. It's join with me, be with me in my suffering. Jesus, the lover, speaking to his bride, the beloved. Now, how will we respond to the words of Jesus. The passage ends, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. There will come an ultimate reckoning with evil. God is not watching the affairs of this world from a place of distance, a lack of concern, just watching the enemy do his thing. Jesus is victorious. And one day that victory will be unmistakable in the eyes of all. And yet we inhabit the in-between. 
And here is where we can learn a lesson from our brothers and sisters around the world. See, there's a sense in which you and I must receive this word. And yet, when it comes to the suffering that people are experiencing on planet Earth for following Jesus, we don't know the half of it. We may yet know the half of it. As the public square closes in around us and it becomes more and more costly to declare a public allegiance to Jesus. But we still don't know the half of it, but we can learn a lesson from those who are right now experiencing the crushing weight of pressure upon them as they seek to proclaim Jesus. We have at KXE a Freedom of Religion hub, and I caught up with the leaders of this hub over the course of the week, um, Vicky and Stephen Butler. And I'd really encourage you to check it out um, if you've not done so yet and if you've time to be involved. They're doing um, some great stuff, getting to send letters and engaging with brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering because they bear the name of Jesus. And they told me... Um, a story of a lady called Helen, who um, was an Eritrean worship leader. Um, she was preaching at the side of the road to people, letting them know about Jesus. Um, what you should know is that in Eritrea, it is okay to be a Christian um, as long as you're a state-approved, state-sanctioned Christian. So there's one church that's there's about two churches that are approved for you to belong to. Um, and if you're outside of that, then it's not cool. Um, and so Helen is not part of the state-sanctioned, um, state-governed, state-regulated church. Um, and so she's speaking. Um, she gets uh, picked up by police. She's tortured. She's beaten. Um, and all of this is so that she can stop preaching about Jesus. Well, this woman is made of more than I am because she presses on um, in a container in the darkness, telling about Jesus, ministering to those around her of who Jesus is. And not only is she speaking, she's singing. She won't stop singing. She won't stop singing. And they tell her again and again, woman, stop. Stop singing. Are you sick? All you have to do to stop being beaten, to stop being tortured, to stop being brutalized is to stop singing, stop with the Jesus stuff. And she says, I can't. I can't. I can't stop. See, in view of who Jesus is and what he's done and the difference that this makes to my life, the difference this can make for all of your lives, I cannot stop singing singing, the language, the communication of love. Jesus is speaking to his beloved at Smyrna and he's speaking to us here today. And he's saying, one, stand in solidarity with the actual suffering church. Um, let's make sure that our prayers, our money, our petitions are gathering with those around the world who are suffering for bearing the name of Jesus. Um, but also recognize where there is a pinch point for you of your allegiance to my name. I don't want to diminish what this might look like for any of us here right now. I know that in different situations, different work environments, even here, it's very hard to hold the name of Jesus in public. Jesus is saying, I identify with you. No, in some cases, it's going to get even worse. But will you join in with me? Will you come to me, my beloved, and know fellowship, intimacy, union with me in my sufferings? 